Welcome to Infinity War and Beyond, the podcast where we stumble through the MCU by watching one Marvel Studios film each week until we reach the mega epic blockbuster that is Avengers Infinity War. I'm Billy and I will be your host this week as we look at Thor The Dark World. As always, joining me is my co-host, Christoph. Hey! How you going, Billy? You look ragged. Yeah, look, I'm tired. Because it's of watching Thor Ragnarok? Well... Sorry, not Ragnarok, sorry. Thor The Dark World. Yeah, uh, as we've alluded to a lot uh, before on the podcast, occasionally, <clears throat> when we need a couple in the bank, we'll do a couple of these during the week, which means we've got to record two podcasts and fit in multiple Marvel films. And I find that a bit tricky, so last night I stayed up late trying to cram in Thor 2... Uh, Thor, Thor, The Dark World, and it became less of a movie and more of an obstacle between me and sleep. Yes. Um, how, how do you find fitting in when we have to do sort of a couple of... Well, have to is a strong word, when we decide to do a couple of films a week. Well, I watched um, Thor one day and then Cap the next So like a normal person. Uh, yeah, I managed my time like, properly. Unlike rather you. than... like, I, Yeah, I think I finished... Uh, the second Marvel film that we're looking at this Time week, like management, a, Christoph. Then a couple, no. then maybe like two hours ago, I finished the film. So like I, because I put them off. Because like as I've said before, is this is meant to be a love project. You know what? I think it's like the rebellious streak in me that a lot of these films I've watched for, for pleasure multiple times, but as soon as you tell me I have to watch it, suddenly it becomes a chore. So I often uh, procrastinate. Squeezing them into into my week. Now, something. Do you want me to get my Mary Poppins on? I'm trying to figure out how Mary Poppins is appropriate. Like what what the link you're trying to make it. In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun, and the job's a game. See, even Mary Poppins says there's a tiny bit of fun in watching in doing something. So if you feel like. Thor the Dark World was a job. You just find that part in that... The fun of talking to me about it on this Confession. podcast with us. Confession. I fast-forwarded near the end because I was that... Like, I, like through some of the fight scenes, I just skipped to, like, the conclusion the of the war, fight scene. It was I that mean, we'll, freaking yeah, boring. I mean, we'll get back into... We'll get into it later on in the podcast, but yes, some of the other fight scenes were a bit repetitive for this one. Which is not good. Which is not interesting. No. Especially compared to... Um, some of the other Marvel films in the franchise, like the Captain America films, I think handle uh, the yeah, combat but really well. Watching Thor: The Dark World this week, and comparing it to like the next film we watched yeah, as well, Captain which America was Captain America: America the, Winter uh, the Winter Soldier. It's like you it, can't it holds up significantly worse because I still I still think that Ca- uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier is the best of the Marvel films. And I think they're going to be lucky to ever top it. I think they hit their stride at that film and have been coasting ever since, personally. I think that was. I think that's about as good as they get. Well, you're wrong. But anyway. <laughs> Not even dancing around, just straight up, you're wrong. You're wrong. Um, Alright, so sh- with that note, uh, shall we go to the trailer? Yeah, let's do it. After all this time, now you come to visit me, brother. Why? To mock. I need your help. But I wish I could trust you. If you did, you'd be the fool I always took you for. Some believe that before the universe, there was nothing. They're wrong. There was darkness, and it has survived. What's gonna happen? I gave you my word. I would return for you. You face an enemy, known only to a few. Known only to one. You must be truly desperate to come to me for help. If we do nothing, they will destroy us. You even think about betraying him. I'll kill you. That was for New York. I like her.
Thor, your bravery will not ease your pain. Your family, your world will be extinguished. We're running out of time. The very fabric of reality will be torn apart. I'll find a way to save us all. So Thor The Dark World uh, was released in 2013 on November 8th. So like, what's that, like six months after Iron Man 2? Yeah, it would have been about six months. Um, and oh, so, sorry, Iron Man 3. Iron, Iron Man 3. Uh, it was directed by Alan Taylor, um, who's mostly done TV, as in directed... It shows. Of- it yeah, definitely shows. He's directed a lot of TV, which was um, like Lost, West Wing, Six Feet Under, Six in the City, Sopranos, Game of Thrones, Boardwalk Empire, oh, Deadwood, and Man Men. Oh, wow. Specific. So he's directed some decent stuff. Yeah. Um, he The films he's directed, was one of them is Palookaville, which I've never seen. Apparently. And, and after this film, he directed Terminator Genesis. I was going to say, I just saw that. He... It seems like with films, he hasn't had a good track record. No. But, I mean, like, some people work greater in the realm of TV than they do films. And I felt like in this film, some of the cuts and some of the shots they used... I, like, I don't know why, but I feel like in a TV format, it would have been fine. Mm. But it, I, it felt a bit clunky in a film format. Like, there were so many elements of this film that felt subpar, and the directing was certainly one of those elements that... that, that quite strongly was letting the team down in my opinion now there were multiple people involved in the story and also screenplay of this um, movie which so is the... to be honest I don't think that's the best, like a great sign if you have that many hands on deck it means that there's clearly some problems so um, for all of our listeners at home um, can you explain the difference between sort Certainly. Of Do you... story and like, I'll, uh, screenplay I'll, I'll write explain yeah no, write explain so something a lot of people I think don't sort of who haven't been exposed to, like, screenwriting or even, like, I'm sure plenty of people have, but I'm sure there's some people out there who haven't read a screenplay, right? Mm-hmm. Um, unlike something like a novel, a screenplay is a working document. A novel is a finished product. A screenplay is simply the blueprint that allows you to sort of then create this thing, the movie. So mm-hmm. once you create the movie, you know, when the actors are on set and due to certain limitations or whatever, there's what the script will... And this will inevitably change, and essentially it disappears. So the script's a blueprint. The same way that like a blueprint of a table isn't a table, the completed table is, but the blueprint gets you there. So the people who write this, who are listed as like story, did it like a general premise, and the screenplay people flesh it out. Yes, actually write the screenplay. Okay. Um, and yeah, so the story would have been like the main beats of what happens, sort of like probably like a couple of pages of a synopsis, basically. And then the uh, the people working on the screenplay would come in and break that down into scenes and ex and so they're basically responsible for the execution. Okay, so for oh sorry, can I say one more yeah, thing? Really? No, no, so going. it's very possible that you have a pretty average story. Yeah. And it's executed really well, and vice versa. A really great story on paper. All the beats, all the notes are there, but the way the beats are explored and expressed are shit. All right, well, for this, the story was written by Don Payne, who did the story for the first Thor film. Which was a solid story. Yeah, but then it was sort of edited and changed a little bit by Robert Rodat, who um, his film work is Saving Private Ryan. Like, he did the, the story for Seven Prime mm-hmm. Ryan, and The Patriot, among other things. Um, and it's been noted that he's helped out on other scripts in the past as well as part of his work. Interesting. Screenplay-wise, um, you might know this name, Christopher Yost. He's, he rings a bell. He, he does a lot of Marvel comics. Like, he's written a lot of Marvel uh, X-Men that stuff. Why. Um, a lot of X-23. Oh, interesting. But mind you, he probably wrote... He's one of the creators of X-23 Before well. Tom Taylor jumped on X-23, the character wasn't always written super like, well. Oh, I mean, initially... Like, in her own book, I, I feel like there was a weird... Maybe this was more just the art, but a fetishization of her. Initially, she wasn't... Like, um, oh, it's Wolverine with boobs, as opposed to... And now they finally moved to her. Yeah, like, I mean, there has been a, a few creators on X-23... Um, X-23 is, like, a clone of Wolverine. 
a, a female yeah female Wolverine yeah. essentially. Um, he's also been involved in various um, animated TV shows, so a lot of various Marvel ones. So like the um, Wolverine and the X Men, which is a great series. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, that. The X Men, I think Evolution one. Oh yes, yeah. I've also watched that, which at the time I liked it, but I'll have not. I haven't watched it recently, um, so I can't speak. It was like them in high school, yeah, and as teenagers. So he's been involved also with like the various Turtles TV shows. Okay. Yeah. There's been a lot of which one, like the one from the early two thousands. Because um, I remember liking that as a kid. Yeah, there was the the current one and the pre- one before that. So the two thousand and three series. Yeah, that's the one I'm familiar with. And the with. current series. Okay. Um, and also for future, for our future episode. Um, he did the screenplay for Thor Ragnarok. He did the screenplay? Yeah. And there's only one, I think, screenplay for... Thor Ragnarok. Because doing screenplay for Thor Ragnarok. I, th- I assumed Waititi wrote it. Maybe, maybe he gave maybe notes. both, yeah. I also know why uh, Taika Waititi likes to improv as well, so it's quite likely he sort of might have punched it up or used the scene as a rough knows, guy. Chris the script as a rough guy. We'll find out in our Thor Very Ragnarok true. episode. But again, that speaks to what I was saying about how the, the screenplay is just a working document. Mm. Uh, so it's quite... So what you're seeing in the film isn't... You know, a hundred percent accurate representation of what the screenplay was. You know, the director yeah. adds and the actors add so much because, of course, film is a collaborative medium. The other people involved with the screenplay are people we've discussed before: Christopher Marcus and the team. Um, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. They're a team. <laughs> I'm just laughing. Their last names are McFeely. McFeely. <laughs> um, they're a writing team, um, and they've been involved in all the Cap films. Okay. Like all three. Um, the Avengers Infinity War and also the fourth Avengers film and we've mentioned this on our cap our last cap uh, podcast um, they created uh, the Agent Carter TV series as well huh so I feel like the thing about this film is it had all the ingredients to be great but like it It just missed the mark I think it was very much like too many writers yeah for sure too many cooks too many cooks um, tonally and tonally I think this movie felt very conflicted and it clearly makes sense now that it probably was different people coming in with a slightly different take mm. um, the budget for it was believe, yeah what, so the budget was 170 million uh, for context yes is that 20 million more than the first Thor movie yes it was 20 million more than Iron Man 1 as well that means and I believe it would have been I think Iron Man 3 with 200 million yeah so they so, as well, as we've mentioned on the Iron Man podcast, most of the money goes towards Iron Man's armor being CGI'd on That's him. right. Mind you, this movie had a lot of CGI. Yeah. But I, I guess a lot of like the fantasy battles, particularly at the beginning when uh, Thor and his friends are like fighting pew, that pew, village, pew, pew, pew. it was felt very obvious like in a studio or green screen mm. or just like in New Zealand somewhere. It was. I feel like the cogs were showing on that scene a little bit. Box office wise, it made six hundred and forty-five million dollars, which is like almost two hundred more than Thor made, which was four hundred and fifty million. So it's almost like if you put them against each other, they kind of like just the twenty million money. Twenty. It's almost like the twenty million dollars made made two hundred million more. They're almost like on par. Yeah. Money and. Money spent and money gained. I wonder if Disney have, like, metrics for, like, knowing that roughly if they spend this much on, like, a Marvel film, for instance, Mm. it'll make this much. Given that, at this point, they have such a big pool of movies that they would have enough data to be able to figure out roughly, like, how much in equals how much out. This was one of the first Disney completely owned films. Okay. I think Iron Man 3 was the first one, maybe. So from Phase 2 onwards. Yeah. Uh, something I wanted to ask you, just in regards to context, is how you felt about this film at the time it came out. Um, look, I think I f- feel, at the time, I think I enjoyed it more than I do now. Yeah, I, mean, I, I echo that sentiment very strongly. Like, I enjoyed parts of this film, um, but it did feel like it was missing something. It was very cold like I was about to joke was it missing a soul and yeah. I, it felt very no I agree and I think it speaks to the fact that there were so many writers that there just wasn't a clarity no to it this didn't film. feel like there was like you know 
I mean, there was a director, but it didn't feel like there was any influence of the director. <laughs> like, usually... We're assured see, legally there was a director. Like, but, you can see, like, mm. if you watch a Whedon film, you can say, oh, yeah, that's such a Whedon Yeah, he's grabbing hands all over it. Yeah, type thing. Like, you can see a certain director... Like, you can tell what a, a Tarantino film... Mm. You can tell what a... I'm trying to think of another director. Like, well, I, I wonder if part of it is that recently we watched, like... Before we watched this film, the last one we watched was Iron Man 3, and Shane Black has such a strong style. Because mm. not all the directors on Marvel films do. I mean, I think the first Thor movie and the first Cat movie both, to me, felt like they could have kind of been directed by anyone. Like, the directing itself didn't stand out in those no. films. I think they played it safe for the initial first films. Mm. Um, well, Kenneth Branagh didn't want to come back for this film because... Um, I believe I assume you had like another Shakespeare or something to do no I think it was more because was he growing his moustache for Pryro I think it was more they gave him they only gave him two years to do it like it started filming 2011 or late 2011 when they said two years what did they what did they have at that point did they have a script or was it like did they have nothing the new director got offered the job in December of 2011 and then it got released um November 2013 so that's two years to make a film I feel like Kenneth Branagh didn't like the pressure of having to make a film in two years and you know I, yeah I, just, I, I can get that like you get the whole I feel like two years is enough if you're ready to I guess it depends on where you're up to in like do you have a solid script do you have your cast like where's pre-production up to because mm. then you know when you're, you're ready to shoot and cut it also, with this film, like, if it wasn't for the charm of Hemsworth and Hiddleston, like, essentially the main actor, those two main, it's, it would have been more worse. Like, more worse? More worse. You, you could just say worse. Worse. Worse, worse in uh, itself means... Um, I don't know. It just felt like a... Almost like... The decisions were made by a, like, board. Like, it has to do this, 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 has to have this. Yeah. I guess that's a mixture of everything, and also we. I think we discussed the whole, like preliminary. Yes, who issue still was very much on board at this stage. Hey, yeah, he was. And now you were saying, and I wonder if he had any influence to do with it. Now was Patty Jenkins attached at some point? Yeah, so Patty Jenkins, apparently, director uh, Patty Jenkins, director Patty Jenkins of Wonder Woman and yeah. Monster fame. Well, I haven't seen Monster. Monster's good. For me. Monster's good, but I guess most recently, like. She proved that she could make like a super successful yeah so uh, superhero film yeah in October October of two thousand eleven she was confirmed and then December she exited on creative differences like she had no ill will she just said that like she felt like she wasn't the right director for the story that Marvel wanted because uh, I think for Thor itself. Mm. She'd do a great Thor and Jane Foster story. I mean, a lot of those elements were there in Wonder Woman, right? Well, apparently, Natalie Portman put her forward as a name for director to grab. And I, I think, I think from what I, from what I read, Patty Jenkins wanted to do sort of like a, a Romeo and Juliet style, thing between Thor and, and um, Jane Foster. And Jane Foster. That would have that would have worked. Mm. That would have been interesting. It's weird to me that. The uh, the relationship of Thor and Jane Foster, which was so pivotal in the first film, is just is sidelined in this film in Whoa. in exchange for Thor and Loki. Whereas the, his relationship with Jane is really about him falling in love with with Earth and having skin in the game on Earth, and it's, it feels very half-assed. I think that I think that's what we talked about as well. Like too many people, yeah, too many cooks. There was no soul to this film. Um, so yeah, and then like at the end of December, Alan Taylor was chosen based on his TV work. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm going to be honest, it seems like a bit of a desperation pick. Mm. Like a, we need someone, it's Thor so it'll make money. Now, you know how you said you thought this was worse than the Hulk? Have I said that? Like, I don't know if I've said it. I think I said that off, off the mic. No, I think you mentioned it in did the I beginning. Did I mention in the beginning? But yeah, I think, I don't think I did, but... I was going to bring it up eventually. Yeah, I think this is worse than Hulk. Well, I think this is the worst Marvel. Film. I think this has gotten the worst run. Not that we care about Rotten Tomatoes, but it's gotten the worst Rotten Tomatoes rating, like a sixty-six percent, which is not good. Is that a not good score? It's just above half. 
50%? Yeah, 66%? but... 66 is a solid most, class. Okay, most of, the, most of the Marvel stuff is like 80s and above. Okay. Before people started, you know... Well, I mean, maybe not for Black Panther if all those uh, angry white boys have their way. Yeah, all those oh. hackers. What, hackers? <laughs> Wait, is it Leet. called... Leet. Is it called hackers when you put, like, a crappy review on a website? Well, apparently they've been creating, like, fake oh, but, accounts. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, obviously we both didn't like this film, but we will talk about stuff that we've, we thought we picked up in the film. Yeah, um, so do you want to do me to pick-ups then? Alright, so pick-ups is where we cherry-pick parts of the film that we want to discuss further. Um, yeah, a lot of the time it's things that we um, usually noticed on this viewing specifically. So often, uh, like, Easter eggs or just things about the film that we've been able to pick up after multiple viewings. Often often I find they're things that like really annoy me that I only picked up this time, or things that I really enjoyed about the uh, the craft of the film that it, that I only really was able to uh, notice and pick up on now that I'm this is sort of, you know, a multi uh, multiple viewings of the film in. Okay. Uh, so first pickup we want to discuss is family drama. Now obviously this is set like this is set apparently a year after Avengers, the Avengers film. Okay, I read that. I want to in the net in the uh, Captain America two episode. I'll bring this up uh, in terms of the timeline, but these timelines are confusing and inconsistent. Okay, well, I don't think they are. But... Oh, I can. I have. I have proof that they're inconsistent. Bring it on. Okay. Well, do you want me to bring it up now, or... Alright, we'll talk about it now if you want. Okay, in Cap 2, yeah. they reference Stephen Strange, Doctor Strange. Yeah. Whose movie doesn't come out till Phase 3. I know. And but... Captain America 2, uh, two is mid-Phase 2. So, what yeah. the hell is the timeline? Yes, but a lot of these films are set in the past as well. Like, the upcoming Captain Marvel film is set um... in the 90s. Game, set... Billy, yeah, but then it. I just think it's unnecessarily convoluted. Um, and I think, like, with the Stephen Strange thing, I reckon that was just like a fuck up that, that made it through the, the gaps. And then I will give you that. That's what I reckon. So I, I will give you that. I reckon a lot of the time they like reference stuff to suddenly build the world through dialogue, and then Marvel's like, "Oh, we're actually gonna release this as a film now." I gotta let him have one at least. Because at, at the time Captain America two came out, I would say Marvel was going strength to strength, but I reckon most people wouldn't think that they were gonna release a Doctor Strange film. True. Speaking of strength, yeah. um, let's speaking of strength. Yeah, let's talk to the let, let's discuss the strength of the family drama. That was, a in very, this that was a very odd segue. You mean strange? I was talking about Doctor Strange. Yeah, but you said strength. Did I say strength? Yeah, you said strength. Okay. I can. All right, it. look. Anyway, <laughs> like we're in a court of law. Yes. Um. All right. Yeah. Let's jump into family drama. So, so you yeah, did you so enjoy like, the family drama in this film? I mean it. Brained home a little bit, like, um, I don't know, because, look, I'm from a European background, so I know of, like, the whole, um, you know, like, in various European families, what the head of the family says goes type thing, and that is Odin, like, Mm. well, that's, I mean, that's the patriarchy the feminists have such a problem with. Yeah, and, (laughs) that that was a um... I can't even remember. Does the film start with Loki walking in, or does the film start? No, the film starts in the most boring way possible. Talking about the with a voiceover from Thor about, uh, not Thor, sorry, Odin, Odin talking about the dark elves. Yeah, the, yeah something that no All one right, cares about. So, but the first scene in as one of the first scenes in Asgard is Loki mm. walking up to Odin's throne in chains, because um, then it leads to a segue to talking about Thor and Thor saving the nine realms type thing, but. You can sense, like, Odin's literally pissed off as having none of Loki's shit. He's a, Odin's a grumpy bastard in this he's whole film. He's a dickhead. I'm sorry, but he is. He's a grump... And that's yeah. why I brought up the whole, like, grumpy what I say goes type mm. thing. It's like... It's almost like the, the Thor and Loki are at that point where, you know, teenage type, rebelling against the dad thing. You, you know what? I actually wrote... I actually wrote this down, the idea that... In, I reckon in, like, Avengers, 
Loki was like a child, right? He was like, no, I want Earth, I want to be mine. In this film, he's really angsty like a teenager. Yeah. And then I reckon in Thor Ragnarok, he becomes an adult because he sort of accepts his flaws and is able to come to peace with them in a certain way. But he's sort of, at the end of Ragnarok, he's sort of this uneasy alliance with Thor. Or this acceptance that, you know what, let's work together, but I know who I am and I know who you are. Yeah, and so Odin wants to punish... Loki more by saying you can't see your mum essentially which is Frigga yes like the one thing that Loki like I guess treasures which was never never set up really in the first film which yeah the thing I wanted to bring up as well is apparently um, a lot of Frigga's scenes um, set in the first film were cut which I understand some of my dislike for the first film now because like they didn't show the motherly bond as much in the first film well, and he, all, really yeah and here it feels a bit like i get it and it's great but it it just feels weird to like no not show anything of frigga in the first film and now there's heaps it's interesting which that, i love i love that there's heaps of frigga it's interesting that you bring up yeah in the first that you didn't like the fact it was cut in the first film because the first film of course directed by kenneth branner who has a big Shakespeare background, and I don't know how much Shakespeare you remember from high school, but the mother, the matriarchal figures, always play quite a big role yeah, in those films. Very weird uh, to hear in those, that. You know, in Shakespeare's famous films. Yes. In Shakespeare's plays. I um, mean, Hamlet comes to mind in yes. terms of in terms of uh, strong mothers in in Shakespeare plays. But yeah, so it, I think I agree. I think it's good that she gets that she's pretty good in this film, but it sucks. That uh, that it wasn't really set up before and felt uneven. And I kind of dislike the fact that she was killed off. Like I get it, like, mm. like but that's that's so shit. Like you know, killing a character off to propel. That's almost like she's a, a, she's a plot device. Yeah, but she's almost like a, what, what, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it. It's women in refrigerators. Yeah, the the blog started by Kelly Sue DeConnick. No, not uh, Kelly, no, sorry, not Kelly Sue DeConnick. Gail, Gail Simone, my Gail bad. Simone. Um, yeah, so, okay, so for our listeners, uh, Women in Refrigerators, so basically um, in Green Lantern, the Carl Rayner years, not the Hal Jordan, so... No, I don't want to get those confused. Yeah. Um, basically, there was this villain um, who knew who Green Lantern was outside of Green Lantern, and so he wanted to piss the character off, so he killed his girlfriend and stuffed in his fridge mm. and now that actually... hasn't happened to me but I think I'm fairly safe to say that if that happened to me I would be pissed off so true yeah, to life and it's almost like it was a way to propel the character forward and act like to rise up and stop him type thing you're dehumanising a woman into a plot point now as a writer I get that that uh, you need to propel the story all, all the characters are not humans. Like they, they need they do things and play functions in the story. But the issue was that that Gail Simone on her blog, Women in Refrigerators, created a list of all the times this was happening in comics, and it happened a lot. Yeah, not specifically in refrigerators, but women being like raped, raped or beaten or you know physically harmed. In for or- example, um, the Batman one with. The Joker and... Yes, a great example. The Killing Joke. The Killing Joke, where um, Batwoman, who is... Well, she's... Bat, sorry, Batgirl, Barbara Gordon. Barbara Gordon. Gets shot. Gets shot and um, through her spine and she becomes paraplegic and that is meant to like propel Batman forward to finally stop the Joker. Yeah, and I think someone called... has Someone else, Suzanne... I was watching a video of Susanna Polo, the comic critic who started the Mary Sue who now writes for or now does videos and content for Polygon said that there is you know a recurring issue in Alan Moore's work with sexual violence I mean it's in Watchmen as well but and comics has a bad history of it yeah and but back to Frigga like I didn't like the fact that she was because she was pretty cool as soon as she got like to do something she gets killed she gets killed but like you know it propels like Thor to be more angry and take action and then it shows the faults of Odin like Odin is a stubborn it's almost like it, the family drama it shows they're all a stubborn family they're all stuck in their own ways mm. and it was almost like the mother was just keeping them all together like Odin is stubborn in that he what I'm saying goes we're just going to stay here and just throw 
you know, needless as guardians at whatever Malekith sends us. Thor is like, no, you need to take action. And, yeah, Loki's like, fuck this. I think with Freya's death, I think it was more about propelling Loki forward. Because the thing about... I think in this film they stumbled upon the fact that Loki and Thor working together, even they don't they don't want to, works really well. And I would say that's the strongest part of this film. But here's the thing, you've got to figure out a way to be able to do that each film. And the way they did it this film was that their mother died and they're both pissed off about it. Yeah. And in Ragnarok, I, f- I forget, oh, they both want to get off Sakaar. So that's sort of the glue that forces them to work together. Um so I think that in itself, them having to work together works well. It just sucks that they decide to do that by killing Freya. Something I just thought of, though. There's a bit, like, in the film where Frigga says, like, you know, if it wasn't me, if it wasn't for me looking after you, you would be dead already. And then, you know, she does pass. And you start, like, like Odin, like, I think at one point after that he groans, and it's almost like, she passing is sort of like he has nothing left other than Thor and Loki. And he's... Ragnarok, where he decides to pass on. Yeah, he decides to pass on because he's lonely and he's tired and he wants to... Which I feel like it makes the affection Thor suddenly has for his dad in Ragnarok feel a bit unearned given that in this film, I mean, he's one of the obstacles. Is is uh, Odin not wanting Thor to go after um, yeah, Malekith? Um, I mean, it was weird that, like, the affection... Like, I mean, even the affection Odin had for Loki in the first film is sort of just, like, gone in this film. Yeah, well, I guess... It goes to what we said, like, Lo- it feels like a cold film. Well, Loki did try and take over Earth and all the shit he got up to in Thor 1. I know, but, you know... I would agree, though. The characterization of Odin felt a little bit uneven. Hmm. I, was I think this might be a great time to pivot. I'd like to talk just generally in the way that this uh, film treats its women characters, which is not great. It's no Iron Man 2, don't get no, me wrong. No, 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 no. Um, but it I has mean, issues. Sif? Um, okay, so like... Jamie, played by Jamie Alexander, I believe. Yeah, so I mean, the, it, that scene we were talking about in the beginning with um, Loki and um, Odin, Odin says essentially that you know Thor is helping put uh, order back to the nine realms mm. after the um, the Rainbow Bridge got sucked. Yes, can I quickly make a... I, I'm just going to take you down a path, and I hope you do come with me, Billy. Yeah. Um, do you think... I noticed that... Are we holding hands? We can, and we can be skipping. Nice, nice. Um, I noticed that the role that they sort of build up for Asgard in this film is they pretty much just, like... Uh, appear in realms that, that are in turmoil, fight, and then leave. So they're kind of like the America of the Nine Realms. They are a bit. Yeah, yeah, post-9-11 America. Um, which does that mean... Or that are they the United Nations? I think they're like America, because that means the Frost Giant Realm is their Vietnam. It's important that you know I that wrote this down. The, that was the sound of us losing listeners. <laughs> it's important that you know I wrote that down okay. so that I could say... Oh, we do okay. have some scripted humour on this podcast. <laughs> um, Alright, let's... Well, yeah, like, so we get to that scene and it's like, you know, the Warriors 3, which... And Sif, uh, with some other Asgardians, you know, trying to put order to um, the realm. Um... That, so that scene where they're fighting in like a generic fantasy village but some people have rocket launchers just was very boring. See, like, initially, it doesn't make sense. But the fact that I have seen other films, that's, that's what we're talking about. Like, What, other films in general? You've just no, seen films? No, 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 no. Weird like, brag. Like, the space side of the Marvel Universe. Guardians of the Galaxy 1 mm. and 2. Thor Ragnarok. Like, that, you know, the whole... There are characters from... Like, the realms are not realms. They're planets, almost. Yeah. Which makes it confusing when they expand the universe. Like, what yeah. constitutes a realm. But something that uh, Thor 1 had to do, and Thor Ragnarok does quite well, is balancing of sci-fi yeah. and fantasy. In Thor 1, it seeded this idea that... Uh, what Magic is just science it, you don't understand. Yeah, just expand the technology. And in this film... And I feel like a lot of the... What I liked is a lot of the science looked fantastical or magical. Whereas here, they just sort of have, like... There'll be a guy with an axe and beside him will be, like, a guy with a machine gun. Yeah. And it was more of just a, a, a blending of the two rather than a good synergy. And it just... 
It felt disjointed. Yeah. Look, I mean, I I enjoyed a lot of the Asgard stuff, but I felt like I wish there was no Earth stuff at all. Like, it was almost like the Earth stuff was added on just for the sake of involving Jane Foster and some of the other characters. To sort of ground it? Yeah, like, I would have been... I don't know. I wonder how this would have played out if it was just an Asgard film. Well, we've seen that film. It's called Thor Ragnarok, and it's very good. Yes, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, because I think Jane Foster, this movie does a great disservice to Jane Foster, in my opinion. Yeah, and look, a part of me wonders if... Uh, like, I mean, in this film, she's meant to be the fish out of water, essentially going to Asgard, but it yeah. doesn't work well. And I wonder if part of me... Part well, of it's this not is... funny. No, it's not. Because how is it funny? It's her in a fantasy world. Awesome, enjoy your life. Yeah, oh my god, oh, I'm meeting the my boyfriend's mother. For I'm the meeting first time. gods, oh, 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 hell, like, yeah. Oh, I'm meeting the love interest, sorry, the girl who's in love with my, my boyfriend. The, I felt, yeah, the, the, uh, the sort of manufactured. We're talking about Sif here. Yeah, the manufactured uh, tension, sort of love triangle they try and make between Thor, Sif, and Jane Foster. I feel like it perpetuates this idea that any two women will always, like, be doting after a man. And so this definitely fails the Bechdel test. This film? Yeah. You know what? I think it loosely passes by one sentence. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I, so at this point, like, literally one, there was one sentence. So I feel like it's a soft pass. So we're at, at this point... A lukewarm pass. At this point, are we seven films in? Um, I think maybe eight. Okay, well, it's two and a half. We've had two and a half passes. The okay. Um, Thor uh, Thor 2 The Dark World yeah. and Iron Man 3 got a half a pass. Yeah. So, also with The Warriors 3, this is Zachary Levi playing. Yeah, he's, everything he said, I, uh, it just felt like a guy doing very, an impression rather than acting. Yeah, it felt like a guy doing an impression of Robin Hood, but with a really, really bad blonde wig. Like, it was, oh, he it was so like... Bad. It was like, oh, it was like bleached blonde and then added caramel to it. It was weird. Uh, shall we bring it back to um to the women's women stuff? No, yeah. um, with Jane Foster, what did is there anything about her characterization in this film that's well? Out the to you? other thing was it almost like felt like she was not that I'm judging her acting skills, but it felt like she was phoning it in or not mm. really wanting to be there. And I wonder if yeah. that's because. Of, her being annoyed at the fact that Patty Jenkins was not it, directing the film. And apparently also prior to um, the film being created, she had just had a child. And apparently, like, reading reading research for this film, she apparently wanted to sort of take a break from acting anyway. So, I mean, the only reason she did this film is because of contract obligations. That's how it 100% felt like. She was there because she had to be... Whereas the other humans, I enjoyed them more. Darcy was a bit much. No, I, I like Darcy. That's it. Her comedy, like I like her. The character, but I, but I feel like Darcy's just. Um, I've forgotten what the actress is. Kat Dennings, who yeah, is I feel like in Darcy, um, two two broke girls. Yeah, I feel like um, Kat Dennings, like Darcy's just literally Kat Dennings. Like I watched uh, an episode while at the uh, medical center the other day. Um, of Two Broke Girls. Yeah, like Two Broke Girls was on during the day, and I just, like, oh my god, it's Darcy. Kat Dennings is very good at the sort of. Uh, but I enjoy sa- her. Like humor. sarcastic, Slum- mean, slapstick. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoy mean her. girl sort of Yeah, thing. I enjoy her stuff. It's no, just, I. But it felt like literally um, from Two Broke Girls. Yeah. Um, I, whereas Eric Selvig, I enjoyed that, the whole aftermath of, you know, having Loki in his head thing. It was kind of cool. I'll, I'll circle back to that just in a tick because there was an inconsistency there that I'm going to be a dick and point out. Yes. Um, I'll say now the fact that Hawkeye seemingly has no is completely fine, but Eric Selby got fucked by. Well, Logan. we don't know because Hawkeye isn't in any of the films. That's for true. A while. Not till Avengers two. Yeah. Uh, but so there's a one of the things that I annoyed me about Jane Foster was that in the first film she's a match for Thor in terms of. In terms intellect of, and, and strength of will and yeah. sheer stubbornness she actually matches him on that yeah. but in this film she literally spends a good portion of the film like knocked out 
because of she's because, got the ether in her. Yeah, yeah, she's got that um power. And she's weird, like she's sort of in love with Thor, and very you feel like that sort of strength of will has been toned down through the character. Yeah, the other thing I don't understand is like I mean, she was like almost Why? I guess two years in between Thor and this film, like movie like timeline wise, it's like. That's two years of being pissed off at someone, like, for, like, not calling nothing. It's a bit... And why was she on a... Like, it seemed weird to me that the conceit... was trying to move on. Yeah, but it was clear she didn't want to be on a date. You don't have to date if you don't want to. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. You can wallow if you want to. <laughs> um, there's a bit in this film, and I... One of the big problems uh, in this film is the fact that Right from the beginning, there was a trope of a character being infected. So Jane Foster basically gets infected by the ether, which the bad guy wants. So essentially, she becomes an object. Mm. Like, there's a point where Loki literally, like, throws her down at the villain's feet as, like, a, as if he's, like, someone in a drug deal putting, like, cash on the ground and yeah. stepping back. Um, and at that point, I think it was pre- pretty clear that this movie really isn't about Thor and Jane. It's about Thor and Loki, but Jane just happens to be. In it's the film. like the only time the old Jane from the first film comes about is at the end of the film, when they're like you know trying to. Oh, doing st- science stuff. With science them. stuff. Yeah. When they bring out the science poles to do yeah. science things to the space elves. Yes. <laughs> it yes. makes all makes perfect sense. Yes. Um, all right, Terry, jump to another pickup. Yeah, speaking of space elves, shall we Ooh, talk I mean, about? Shall we talk about? You don't look like a space elf. You might have the ears, but no, you're too tall. Wait, too tall? Yeah. Wait, what elves are we talking about? Because if we're talking about fantasy elves, I would say I'm not tall enough. But if we're talking about like Santa's elves, then obviously I was, I'm talk, too tall. I was talking about Santa's elves. Oh, okay. Well, that hurt um, my feelings. So the film's villains in this film. The, the, the film's villains in this film. The film's villains in this film. As uh, opposed to the film's the, villains in other films. Are the Dark Elves. They're the worst. Um, yeah, look, they're the worst in this in this movie. Whereas I've read a fair amount of Thor stuff and the current Thor run. And Malekith and the Dark Elves are actually pretty cool. Like in the, There are some great stories of him in the comics. Just in the film. Clearly they hadn't read them when they made this film. Exactly, that's what I mean. Like... It was during, I think, Walter Simonson's arc, there was some great stories involving Malekith. Um, but, yeah, just this film, it's not... Christopher Eccleston, who plays Malekith, um, if my memory serves me correctly, yeah. was isn't given anything to do. Malekith doesn't really fight so much. so bad and over the top. Like, yeah, I just wouldn't. I yeah. like the, They gave him that really shit deep voice thing that they do to some villains it's like and that accent I think the voice like the deep voice was meant to make him seem scary but I would prefer if he just did things that were like show that in his actions the voice shouldn't be tasked with making it clear that he's a scary dude I mean the, not... the, the, the the person who was more scary was um Algrim slash curse who was his underling yeah the uh the cursed yeah, so, okay, so, actor, uh, Adewale Akinor, uh, I'm Billy. getting the last name wrong, um, he's from, he played, um, in the TV series Oz, summoned Bessie and Mr. Echo on Lost, he plays a lot of, like, the actor plays a lot of, like, head underling roles in some villains, like, he <laughs> was, never getting that promotion, no, like, cause he was, the, like, the head, like, minion in, like, The Mummy Returns, but a question, yeah. when in a lot of these films or TV shows where he is the sort of the chief underling, is the head guy a white person? Because he's an actor of colour. Well, I, I mean, in Lost, in Lost, isn't, Lost isn't the case. In Oz, though, that's a prison drama. Um, those are the only two roles that I prefer out of all of his other roles. Um, but yeah, a lot of the times it, it is a white which, person that's his boss. Which is an underlying sort of trope, I think, in a lot of... Media is a fact. Like the, the diversity, the person who the person of color, mm. best friend, or person of color, magical best friend, as is with, um, I believe it's uh, Robin Hood, one of the Robin Hood films with Kevin Costner. Um, oh yes, the I've forgotten the. That's right. The, I mean, There's it's played an, by. I can remember it vaguely, but he's sort of like the mystical guy, yeah. Yeah, the 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 person of color mystic. That's a trope. Yes. So in this film, um, he wears armor. 
and then he has this like pet rock, I guess. This rock that all the dark elves uh, uh, have, which like they use, and it then like it's called it. It Just makes them turns them, it curses jacks them. them up, right? Yeah, it's almost like, like Sorry, not dark jack- elf steroids. Yeah, throw jacks them up is probably not the right turn of phrase there, but they just get super turned. The and cool be- thing beefed. though is like to get him. So to get him into Asgard, they hot, they he wears this armor that makes him look like one of the minions that Asgard is helping to the one of the. I don't know. That's cleaning up the nine realms, right? Yeah, like one of the guys that they've captured to put in to put in prison. And he sneaks onto Asgard and he presses the like the steroids, dark elf steroids, and it sort of makes him jacked up, but involving his armor. Like, but the armor, like that's how that's the armor how... sort of fuses to his body. Yeah, or at least um, he never takes it off for the rest. Y- of well, the yeah, it just gets fused to his body, and it's got like all these tusks and everything. That's how he looks like in the how Walter Simonson designed him and drew him. I, I, that's one of the things I do like sometimes when there's an Easter egg to, um, an arc or like a character how they're drawn by the creators. So that that's something I did like. But other than that, he was, he had more action than Malekith. Malekith, yeah, you kind of get the impression that Malekith isn't a particularly competent fighter. Like, he's not the best fighter of the Dark Hills. But and on the flip side... The only time he started fighting is when he got the... The uh, Ether. The Ether mm. Minion. And he started throwing shards at Thor. And it's not like he's particularly a tactical genius or anything. He's You're not really sure what he's good at. The one thing I thought was like... As I mentioned just now, the whole... I like when they make an... Uh, character look like they're in the comics. So in the comics, Malekith does have like half his face is black. I did the fact that they were very deliberate about that showing him get me, burnt. Yeah. I assumed it was a homage to the comic book design. Yeah, but I thought that was so like uh, there was no need for it to happen. Yeah, I, like I don't think they're going to bring Malekith back. No, they're not. No one wants that shit. Also, the the like the armor of the Dark Elves. I actually quite like their face masks. It just made me think of a really shit Doctor Who villain. <laughs> no, fair. Uh, and fitting, given like that actually, Eccleston, Eccleston yeah, played Doctor well, Who. Actually, like, from the Eccleston era. <laughs> oh, like the guys with the face masks? Yeah. You know, you know what it looks like? Uh, it, they could easily look, uh, fit in in the set of, like, a Guillermo del Toro film. Yes, that too. But again, I think it speaks to how disjointed this film is that the character design of the Dark Elves didn't really feel in line with the rest of the Marvel Universe or even the other Thor film, yeah. the first Thor film, and certainly not with Ragnarok. Um, one thing I noticed, there was, like, they did some kind of cool... So Eric, when we see Eric um, Selvig for the first, sort of, first time in person, not a video footage... That's right, it's sort of, there's like... It's a recurring joke, basically, that, that he's, he's gone got naked. Yeah, yeah. Got, got naked and ran around Stonehenge. So he was writing all these theories on a blackboard. Um, and, like, they... Like, I mean, it, it you was... You know, a... it's... Okay, so there's a common... This is a sort of... I, I feel like a go-to joke where there's someone, like, explaining something and they're really passionate about it and they're, like, writing it on a blackboard and you and just see them on the blackboard. Yeah. And then the punchline needs to zoom out and you see who they're actually speaking to. Yeah, and all, yeah, and we'll talk about that later. Oh but yeah, on, we will. We but will. on the blackboard, there are all these things, and like a lot of the times, this happens, and it is usually with a blackboard type thing where someone's explaining stuff, and it's like, oh my god, there's a little little thing to reference something. So like on there, there was oh, like, the, like that's where they put in a lot of Easter eggs. Yeah, and there was like six one six, which is the main un or used was to be the, the main Marvel universe. Main Marvel universe. There's like the the fault, which is like meant to be a, a tear in reality in the Marvel comics. The Crossroads, Simonson's Theory of Relativity, which is a throwback to Walter Simonson, which is a comic creator on Thor. Oh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't pick up a lot of that. Yeah. You don't see, oh, I guess you probably, it gets maybe like five seconds, ten seconds of yeah. screen time, that blackboard. Mm. Um, well, look, speaking of what happens in that scene, do we want to pivot to Stan Watch? Let's pivot to Stan Which is where we tell you what Stanley is up to in the Marvel films. A lot of the times they're not that great. Like, they don't stand the they're test They're always crap. As I said last week, my preferred Stanley cameo is one where he doesn't he, talk. He doesn't talk. Well, in this one, he's in an old folks one. Well, a mental no, asylum. A mental asylum. Um, so, yeah. Um, 
Eric Selvig is explaining the theory of um, the nine realms doing what is Conver- it's called the convergence. Convergence, so like that's the thing in that's the thing in Earth, is like in our, our time, like the planetary alignment, planetary alignment type thing. Maybe it's, it's, like a, it, sounds like an astro- it sounds like an astrology thing, Billy. Yeah, like I don't even know if it's a if it is a real thing. And as a Sagittarius, I'm very skeptical. I actually have no idea what I am. I think I'm a Tauros. Tauros? I don't. You know what? Why? I don't know. Um, You're white. That's what you're. So, like. thanks. Um, Just in case that didn't translate through to the microphone, I'm yes. very white. Um, so yeah. So um, and like Eric has got like two shoes, and he's trying to explain like you know everything converges and moves together and puts the two bigger shoes together, and it turns around in. in who he's explaining it to is everyone in the sort of mental break room asylum. at the mental asylum. Yeah, which is the, again, the punchline to the gag. Yeah, and Stan Lee says, can I have my shoe back? But, you know, the thing about Stan Lee is that you know he's fucking horny for these cameos. You know he loves, like, he loves the attention. Because <laughs> he, dra- he drags out those... Every line takes, I reckon, like, twice as long as it needs to. The time of recording this podcast, Stan Lee is still alive. <laughs> do you reckon that's do you reckon that's like a disclaimer we need at the beginning of each episode? He's ninety five and he's got a heart condition. I like, know. He he had a recent stint in hospital. It's not well, good. I get it. Well at ninety five. I will be sad when he passes. At, at ninety well, it's not unexpected. He's yeah. ninety five. Exactly. Plenty of people plenty of people leave this world when they're younger. And mm. let's be honest, in terms of his contribution to comics. I wonder how many more cameos he's gonna make. Well, Making he'll be making <laughs> making didn't cameos in heaven film, one day. Didn't they film like a bunch of cameos to have ready, just in case? Yeah, like when they I swear I read that. Like when they pre-film celebrity death tapes. Yes. Do you you know it'd be funny if it was just him saying a whole bunch of like one-liners yeah. that without context, and then they'll just like ride around it, like him in like a restaurant being like, "Hey, that's my pasta." And then but they have to put he's, it into a film. He's been making cameos for years, even before the Marvel films came out. Like, in, he was in Kevin Smith's film. Uh, but, yeah, but that's just... Kevin Kevin Smith is a sort... Like, he's such a, a, a geeky fanboy that I feel like he'd go out of his way to, like, have Stan Lee in it. Mm-hmm. And I know that he... I've heard him talk, maybe it was on like a podcast or in a video about like how cool it is to he gets to hang out with Stan Lee at like Comic-Con and stuff and how... How like if he told his ten year old self, his ten year old self would lose their mind. So that may like I feel like Stan, uh, Kevin Smith probably approached Stanley. All right, so now we're going to talk about the post and mid credit stinger. Yeah, so this is the first time uh, we actually get a proper post and mid credit stinger that follow the now Marvel formula that you pointed out before, which, which is... is mid-credits is for a future film. Yeah, for a plot, basically. Yeah, and the after-credits is... Comedy. Comedy. Or something that happens in the but, film. Yeah, usually it's related to the film, and more often than not, it's a gag. Yeah. So, in the mid-credits scene, we are what looks like on a space station, and we see um, Sif and... Vol- was it Volstag? Volstag. Um, and they're dressed like, you know, they're dressed normal and they're carrying... In Asgard casual. In Asgard casual. And I'm pretty sure they have cloaks. And they're carrying, yeah, a cloak. They've got a cloak and they're carrying an object. And Which I assume the object was the ether? Yes. And Which... so we see um, they approach, like, some this pink lady is taking them to her boss, who is the collector, otherwise known as Tenably Tavine, played by Benicio Del Toro. You know what? I like Before that his character the... name is easier to pronounce than his real name. Than his real name. Benicio del Toro. This is the first time I'm like, holy shit! Like, what the hell? This is batshit crazy, Benicio del Toro. I've never seen him like do this. Oh, like, like such an out there character. Yeah, I don't know. I've just I don't think I've ever seen him do. I. Anything. You know what? I didn't like his line delivery. It was so long and drawn out and like overly dramatic. Yeah. Um. So basically. Um. The Asgardians, so Volstagg and Sif, are taking the Infinity Stone, which is in the ether. That's in the ether. Which wasn't again explained or makes any sense, given what the the ether was like. This weird sort of fluid well, uh, CGI uh, the, well, mess. Well, near the beginning, um, Odin says that not all of them are stones. Like some of them are orbs and stuff like that. <laughs> I know, I know. Anyway, so they've taken <laughs> it to not all of them are stones. 
Summer gems. Yeah. So some so they've taken it to um, the collector to keep a hold of because they're under the, mm. they feel like they shouldn't keep all the infinity stones in one place. So a creepy guy who co- who collects things seems like a safe option. And then um, the collector says one down, five to go. Very ominous. Yes. I didn't mind it. I liked it. I just felt I th- you I think the problem with the stingers is they're very good when you see them for the first time, when they sort of give you uh, a little bit of a sneaky peek at what's happening. But when you go back and watch them, you're like, yeah, we get it. Yeah. Like, I, we're, we're balls deep in the Infinity Stone stuff at this point. Like, t- this is not interesting to watch. I, like, the strength of these plot stingers is just that they're giving you a tease before the next film comes out. Um, and so the so post-credits yeah, is Thor arriving back on Earth. Yep, they do some... Kiss-kiss. Yeah, smooching all over the place. Smooching joint. all over the place. Funnily enough, um, th- uh, Natalie Portman wasn't available to do that. So is it, is it a stunt double? No, it's Chris Hemsworth's wife. Well, that, that would be the Christian thing to do. No wonder that, that kiss was extra spicy. Actually, yes. I can't remember. Um, and then it shows... Um, like an ice giant dog thing running around? Yeah, um, that somehow during the whole crazy Converted, convergence it thing... Like, it like fell through a portal. It fell through a portal into Earth. Um, but yeah, that was... I feel like that second, uh, the one with Thor and, well, Jane Foster, who's actually his wife, Smoochin, I feel like that uh, is maybe more plot relevant because of... Because he sort of moves a Thor thing forward. Before this point, he's sort of stuck in Asgard. He came down for Avengers. It would have been cool to see, like, Thor doing adventures in, you know, in England. Like, his castles and stuff like that. Well, that's what England's known for. Castles and stuff like that. You know, old England, like, you know, some sort of Asgardian villain based in... Like, like a British dude? The UK, like in just like in the like Europe area, it would have been kind of cool. I think that the British, like it was nice that it was a Lond- the setting where a lot of this took place on Earth anyway, was London rather than um rather than the US. Yes, yeah. That was nice. Um, but I guess my point is, yeah, that this sort of position lets, let us first know that, that there's a transition happening with Thor and he's no longer going to be Asgard-based. Yeah. Uh, he's now Earth-based and of course in, you know, Avengers 2, he's all around with the Avengers and you kind of get the impression he's been running missions with them uh, quite you know like mopping up Hydra yeah well shall we jump into our final segment for the show Billy alright now we come up to our segment if you like this read this where we mention some comics we think you might like to read after watching Thor The Dark World yeah I feel like in this case my suggestions are going to be ones that just do a better job or do well where this movie failed Okay, uh, my suggestion, is, one of them, is uh, the Walter Simonson run on which, Thor. Which, which of course, you were talking about in relationship to the, um, the design of one of the Dark Elves. Yeah, um, he's also, Malekith is featured heavily in, in that run. Um, you can grab it, I think it's like two, one, uh, two volumes, like collected in a trade, or you can buy it digitally. Um, another one of mine is... Um, the essential Thor as well, which has that sort of. It's another like big omnibus type. When you say the essential Thor, I think about you know how there was a collection of CDs where it's like yeah. the essential. So I'm imagining like Thor in like black and white and like a turtleneck holding a saxophone. Nice, nice. What are your suggestions? Um, so my suggestion was I have a habit of doing this where I'll just uh, talk about different parts of the same creative team's run. So, talking about Jason Aaron Thor again, because it's so damn good. And more specifically, I believe it's the mighty Thor that, in which Jane Foster uh, picks up the hammer and becomes Thor. And it's written by Jason Aaron with art by Russell Dorderman, who is an insanely talented artist. Um, I've been following his art for a while. It's been really awesome to see how it sort of has evolved. And it just, in the last couple of years, his art has really leveled up and it's just uh, really spectacular. So if, like me, you were pretty disappointed with the characterization of, you know, of Jane Foster in this second film, uh, or just like the character of Jane Foster, then you should check out this run because it is uh, very good. And that's all from me. I don't okay. actually have a... Uh, oh, actually, no, sorry, I do. I almost forgot. Um, Which is, look, if you, if you aren't reading Saga, you should be reading Saga. It is a space opera that 
unlike Thor, unlike Thor two, melds fantasy and sci fi really well. Yes, and there's also a lot of dicks. So I mean, all, all, all the good things in life. True, boobs as well. But um, I was more interested in those sweet saga dicks. Um, so <laughs> th- this has been us. Uh, this has been you. us. Yes, thank you for listening. Um, you can reach us on geekofoz.com, uh, Facebook slash geekofoz. Um, our podcast is on Wushaka and iTunes. Um, you can reach us on Twitter. Yeah, and I'm just going to quickly plug, um, I believe this is going to be the last week that a project I'm involved in is on Kickstarter. The project's called Corpus, an anthology of bodily ambulance. And it's a comic book anthology, anthology that's about the experience of sickness or uh, living with illness both mental and physical it is has a whole bunch of very talented creators including myself and quite an ambitious funding goal so look if you like interesting comics from a team of really talented people and myself uh then you please check that out so just uh hop on kickstarter and type in corpus or just hop into google and type in corpus kickstarter and it'll come right up all right then everyone uh we'll see you next week all right see you then